Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Right, here we go then. Uh, we've got an extra bonus podcast for you. After the marathon effort uh, we put in on the last episode, we thought we'd just make this little separate one. Yeah, so the Women's Six Nations is on at the moment. So, yeah, people, people confuse my not watching women's rugby as some sort of ingrained sexism. I mean, I guess it is if you um, you know consider me not watching the Pro 14 in the same vein. I just see it as a different league. Uh, so I, it's not that it's not I don't want to watch it. It's just like you say, there's so much. Well, I'm basically Premiership focused. If you gave me the choice of watching Six Nations or the Premiership, uh, I would genuinely watch the Premiership. And if you gave me the choice of watching Six Nations or uh, Talk H versus Oldham, I'd probably watch Talk H versus Oldham. So yeah, you know, I have my um, I have my favourites. Oh, definitely. Uh, but there you go. If if you want to watch live women's Six Nations rugby, then I th- fantastic that you can. I, I think we're at a point in women's rugby where the the, the chasms are vast in some nations, and and yeah. over time that will equalise. Well, I think actually that's a very good reason to watch this documentary. So the reason I've watched it is because uh, and this is No Woman No Try, which is on Amazon Prime. Yep. And it's made by a lady called Victoria Rush. And people have been saying um, how inspiring or brave or whatever else it may be. Uh, so it's, it's made quite a lot of social media noise. So I sat down and actually, I watched it last night. I watched my rugby highlights and then I watched Just this. Just ask him, what, what, what uh, prompted you to watch it, JB? Well, I, w- I was criticised, obviously, on social media. And I've got a theory that... For what? The- well, it was... You need to be more specific, mate. <laughs> yeah, I was criticised on social media because I, I had a real big problem with a campaign run by Saracens. And I don't want to go into that. Yeah. But that led me to encounter a subsection of women's rugby, which is not women's rugby at all. It's nothing to do with the women that actually play the sport. I have no problem with them at all. But... Some of the creepiness around some of the men that seem to hang around on the edges, which I kind of think might be the biggest problem in women's rugby, which is creepy men. But that, again, is a discussion for another day. But I was accused of you know, not paying it, paying it much attention, which is true, uh, and that I should watch this documentary. So that's exactly what I did. Um, and I've got to say, I'm fairly mixed on it. What was your initial, initial in, uh, uh, impression of it, Tim? I think, yeah, mixed is is kind of good. I, what I would say, first and foremost, and, and this is actually 
one of the things that I was disappointed there wasn't more of on it. And had I had more time and had I not been coaching my own son's team and uh, doing this uh, little charity event yesterday, um, God, I sound like smashy and nicey. They're doing great, a lot of great work for charity. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I don't like to talk about it. Um, had I not been doing, had I not had a busy weekend and also for the purpose of the podcast, you know, wanted to make sure I watched the rugby so I knew what I was talking about a bit I would have watched some of the Six Nations based on this documentary which I I am mixed about the reason being the actual rugby part of it the tiny tiny little glimpses of the actual rugby that you got look great yeah I agree with that Uh, I mean here is how I'd summarize it probably the most confused hour of viewing I've ever seen like it makes some good points and then it makes some absolute nonsense points and I'm starting when you watch it and you think what is this program about? Is it about rugby or is it about something else? Is it about social so I, media? I think, yeah. I mean, yeah. Is it about business? Is it about business? Is it about yeah, so, philanthropy? Yeah. The social media aspect of it is incredible. It's incredible because they keep on circling back to social media. Um, whether it be how, how can you be an ally? Well, you just share us on social media. What do you need to do? Uh, social media seems to be the biggest problem they simultaneously all face and also the solution to all their problems. I'm not sure it can be both, but yeah, they seem to be addicted to the thing. And to be fair to them, I know the feeling. I know exactly the feeling. I just wouldn't make a documentary about it. Um, So just, just uh, so no one's confused if they haven't seen it. This is a documentary about the women's rugby in England specifically. Well, it's hard to know what it's about really, isn't it? I mean, it's a women's rugby based documentary, but what is it actually about? It was sort of part celebration of some of the characters who've got the game to where it is and are aspiring to push it on and also part exploration of the reasons why it hasn't done so faster. I'm not sure any of those things stack up. I'll tell you why shortly. But that's why I think it's such a confused bit of programming because it seems to be celebrating women's rugby and then it tells you everything which is wrong with women's rugby and then everything which is wrong with it seems to be counted literally inside the program itself as to why women's rugby is doing so well and i can't really make heads or tails as to actually why they even made this well i'll tell you what uh, phil as, phil you haven't seen it where's your perspective from the outside on where women's rugby is currently good question um i think the point you made before about the the chasms in women's rugby is evident when you're watching the six nations there are there are two very good teams, and there are probably th- three very good teams in world rugby, three or four maybe, with New Zealand um, definitely um, at the same level as England and France. And everyone else, it seems like it's an afterthought. Everyone else is have very very few either professional players or professional leagues, so there are enormous gaps in it. In England, with the fortunate that there is a we are fortunate that there is a professional league or certainly a, a full-time serious league with then professional players um, who are contracted um yeah. centrally as part of it in terms of where the landscape is it's it's hard to say more than that hey how about this how about we do the fair thing and we talk about what we liked about this yeah because there is actually quite a lot of stuff to like in it and i think that's probably the best place place to stop i now know some characters in the sport that I didn't know before. Yeah. And some of them but, are very engaging and interesting individuals. Yeah. And talented, really great. So, and talented athletes. So 
by far the most engaging people and the stars of this whole documentary are Shauna Brown and I think his surname's uh, uh, Zainab, but I'm not sure the surname, uh, Almia, I, th I think. Now, Shauna Brown, I'm, I, I, after watching her, I'm genuinely interested. I want to see what she does next. Uh, she is obviously a phenomenal rugby player. Do you know? Do you know what she reminds me of? Um, watching her, you know, watching her story. And this sounds like a, a bizarre one to compare it to. Do you remember an NFL quarterback called Drew Henson? No. So Drew Henson was the guy who started ahead of Tom Brady back in the day, and his story was he was such a talented athlete he could either play quarterback, and he did for both Michigan and indeed the Dallas Cowboys, or he'd go and be a professional, uh, professional baseball player. And in America, this is quite common where you get athletes who are just so dominant, they pick their sport. And you look at Shauna Brown's story and she's done all of these, it was, it was athletics and then there's, var there's various video of her. Well, on the, the the, what's his name, Patrick, Patrick Mahomes. Exactly. Exactly. She strikes me as like an, you know, the standard athlete that if she was in America, she would have all sorts of options open to her as a, as, a, as a collegiate athlete. I just think in the UK, those options for that athlete just don't exist. You either play football, um, cricket or rugby, but you don't get any crossovers like you do in America. And she just strikes me as that sort, um, as, as that sort of athlete. So I, you know, I think her story, and I think what she says as well, She's very clear-headed about almost all subjects, and I think that's I, I think that's really refreshing because she comes at it purely from an athlete's point of view. And every time she spoke speaks in the whole documentary, I think yeah, that stacks stuff. Uh, and she does this over and over again. And I don't think her role in the documentary was actually to do that. I think her role in the documentary was there to you know show exactly what brilliant athletes that the women's that the women's game has um, has access to, and they accidentally stumbled into someone who really recognises. Um, the problems with women's with women's rugby and how to, and how to cure it. And she does it very subtly, but in my mind, very very convincingly. I agree. Re really engaging. I, I think, um, yeah, the the stories that we were introduced to, and also, do you know, the the big positive. One of the big positives actually runs for me of of the documentary, and and as we've been talking about in in weeks gone by actually runs contrary to one of the sort of undercurrents or actually in your face thrust of the documentary. I think one of the positives is what a brilliant shape in England women's rugby is world beating. Literally, well, literally world beating. Yeah, I mean I have some problems with that actually. I certainly have a bit of problems with it at the, at, at the at the top of the game as we'll discuss later. But certainly in the community game, you're absolutely right. The, you know, the women, the women's game, the girls' game, uh, uh, lower down, is in rude health, and you know that's. I mean that is an amazing thing. If you go down to a club on a Sunday, there are as many female players now as uh, um, as as male players, uh, and that sort of leads me on to the other char char character, uh, 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 Zainab. So the thing which I the phrase that I love from her is her initial phrase where she says, "Neonatal nurse by profession, rugby player by passion." I think yeah. That is like 99% of the men that play. There's nothing unusual here. She's just followed the same path as, you know, as you or I or Phil or or anyone. So you can immediately identify with these two uh, with these two players. One is a high level pro, and one is just coming in through the amateur ranks. Although she has incredibly high um, incredibly high aspirations, and I think 
uh, one of the nicest parts of the entire documentary is when she looks up the rule book and she goes, yeah, clear as day. I, I can wear the hijab. Perfect. Mm, that's that's quite a cool cool story because you're right. That is something that most people play in. We, we have the visibility of the top one or two percent of people who play professionally, but the the um, enormous weight of people by numbers are the people like the three of us who played yeah. at various different levels, but all under the top the top level of the pyramid. And that's what most people do. They play as a something they did in their childhood and then something that you do as a release on weekends and as enjoyment and fun. Now where where I think uh, the documentary and along with that, where the mindset of this runs into issues for me, at least is exactly what you just mentioned, Phil, that there is, there is a pyramid. And the principle is that the bigger, the, the, the bigger, the base of the pyramid, as in the bigger, the community game, the more infrastructure, the more organic, the more volunteers that help at the base level, then at the top level, you have more resources, more infrastructure, more support, and necessarily there is more eyeballs on it, therefore more sponsorship and investment and stuff. And that's something which happens organically and which is dictated by the market. And I just got a sense that there was an expectation that that organic growth and that building that base level and then waiting for the pyramid to grow upwards, it should be yeah. inverted some way. And actually it's almost, well, the men, ha- the men get paid. So why aren't yeah. we getting paid? Which that, that's, that's not how anything works. That's not how anything is built. Well, just before you go into that, I'm glad you mentioned markets because markets comes to mind and, this was probably where I really started to depart from this doc- from this documentary. So I've mentioned that the the two easily the most engaging characters. And that is the those are the two people that you should watch this documentary for. The other two mixed reviews. But one of the things which I really am impressed with, in fact, I'd, I'd go as far to say I'm inspired by, because I get inspired by this sort of stuff. But somehow they dress it up as a disaster. Is the women's shorts issue? Yes. So the women's shorts issue is really interesting. Okay. So uh, obviously we've not had women in the game for that long. Yes. People will point out that women have been playing for a long time, but as a mass sport, in terms of just the gross numbers, it is far bigger now than it has been previously. So it's a re- it's a relatively new thing. So as women come into the game, obviously we need to tailor kits them. And I would never have thought of this. I would have said, look, um, we've opened up the clubhouse. We've, we've sorted out the changing facilities. Um, we're giving you a fixture list. You're, coaches, you're, referees. Coaches, referees. You know, we are trying to facilitate this game. So the fact that they that one of them pointed out that the shorts are made for men, and therefore this is a, a sign of ingrained sexism, blew my mind. But this is where I think differently to the contributors to this film. Because if I love the sport, just like they love the sport, and we actually get to the same, same position here, which I think is brilliant, I would say... It's not a disaster that I don't have shorts that don't fit me. It's amazing because I've got this incredible business opportunity. So I don't understand like the whinging because it's like, oh my God, we've got sexism ingrained in the sport because I don't have the right shorts. Simultaneously, they've actually fixed the issue that they've encountered by doing exactly what you should do, which is setting up a clothing brand to sell shorts. So I thought the rugged, like, like the rugged short stuff or the rugged, rugats, which is the brand, was absolutely brilliant. Because that's how you solve problems, isn't it? You identify a problem 
and you take it upon your own shoulders to solve it. And if you've solved a really good problem, you can make a bit of money too. And I think that is that is absolutely awesome. So if you're a woman and you and you want to play, there is a brand for you called Rats. And that's not to say other brands shouldn't do it, but they've solved the problem, and that's brilliant. That's exactly they, how they have work. solved the problem. And you could parallel this. This is not a male female thing. This is a how every single business has been built in the history of businesses. There, you there find is a problem. You solve it. Yeah, and and when there is a, problem, a when there is a a critical mass of need someone will come in and do that. It isn't that Adidas or Canterbury or whoever it is are sexist. It's that, I'm just thinking, Umbro wouldn't have made rugby kit if there weren't enough rugby players that they gave a damn about making the England kit. Exactly right. Exactly right. Look, if I wanted to get into curling tomorrow, okay, with you know the little granite stones and whatnot, and I couldn't, and Umbro didn't make me the exact right uh, curling equipment for my needs on the ice, I wouldn't assume it's because they hate curlers. I'd assume because they just don't have a market need or no one's discovered it. So uh, you know, if, you, if you're looking for women's shorts, I hope that Regats really does set the market, market alight. I hope that lots of people buy it, and they should do, because they're the original brand who originally solved the problem. But then I hope other brands fo- follow suit because, because there's profit. So I think that's actually a really good story of the best way for women's rugby to solve women's issues, which is solve it. You know, if you've seen a problem, Go and go and solve it, and it's not about some um, systemic problem. It's about solving issues. And uh, I think brilliant. that's it. All, all of the problems that were identified, you could could have been coming out of the mouth of a championship uh, rugby player. Yeah, and there is an element of this which I just I can't help but feel it's just ungratefulness. There's no other way that I I think of it. So you know, down the level that I play, I'm just grateful that that we can play. Uh, it doesn't matter to me if I change on the side of the road. It doesn't matter if I play on a waterlogged pitch, although for some reason they stop us doing that. The other week we played on a pitch which was just not suitable. It was covered in snow with the only club in the Northwest playing. Every time I get to pull on my boots, I'm grateful for the opportunity to pull on my boots, whether it be with 11 players or 15 players, whatever it is. And I think there's an element in the higher up of women's rugby. They think this is just not good enough. You know, what we're getting is not good enough. And I, I think they, they, lose the, they lose the joy of the game. Now, we've mentioned the first, two, char- f- f- first two, two characters. I don't really apply that to them. The second two characters, however, they seem to think that everything in the world is against them. And the more that I listen to them, I'm thinking, like, do you actually enjoy what you're doing? Do you enjoy playing rugby? Because you say you do. And then you reflect on it and you see everything that you're doing in this game through a prism of, um, I mean, the, the word that was used, the phrase that was word, uh, usually was accessing power. I thought this is incredibly unhealthy. I mean, you don't access power through playing rugby. You don't access power through how you look. Uh, and the more I heard it, I just thought they can't be enjoying what, what they're doing. Their whole life must be an absolute nightmare to see everything through the prism of, quote, accessing power. I don't even know what that means, frankly. Well, I would actually say that in terms of if you want to take that phrase on, then women's rugby has accessed power in the sense that professional sides, again, the pyramid base of which and the support of which and the financing of which was built over the last 150 years of it being a a men's sport, um, they're accessing the training facilities, the coaching, the pitches, the 
infrastructure yeah. of those clubs. And I'm all for that. That that's that's fantastic. The the clubs have obviously spotted and obviously realised this is an important part of the growth of of our club and our organisation. And there's obviously well, think- and, and there's a load of funding and the RFU are, um, are are giving way more coverage to the uh, Allianz Premier 15s, which has a title sponsor as well. Uh, they're giving way more coverage to that. They're putting production uh, budget behind it. They're giving a platform on their Facebook page and, and, and YouTube and stuff to actually stream games. And we've been talking about what an unbelievably good product and how good a quality is the championship, which has thousands of people turning up at their games and they can't get a sponsor or any coverage anywhere. And the RFU don't seem to be remotely interested in them. So I actually think gratitude is, is one of the words I came away yeah. from thinking about it. You sh- you actually, we should, where's the gratitude, where's the like, gratitude for actually some great uh, strides have been made, but choices have also been taken. And I think at some point you could look at it and go, well, they've gone, forget about anything below the premiership and let's focus on the women's. And so, and I haven't got necessarily got an, an issue with that per se, but be grateful that if, if, if actually that's, the decision yeah. that's been I mean, taken that's benefited you and your sport because a lot of those uh, women are, are professional not because of the gate receipts that are, that are being taken but because of decisions that have been taken by a union on spending all of our sports money and I haven't got a problem with that but be grateful yeah yeah I, I, you know, I don't say be grateful when treated badly I'm not saying anything like that oh no of course not I'm also not saying be grateful um, you know when yeah, yeah, basically, yeah, basically, what, 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 what I said before when you've been when you've been treated poorly. But I just think about playing this game and the opportunities that have, that have arisen for me, and every opportunity that I've had has been limited by my talent. But if Sale Shark said said to me when I was in, in my twenties, you can have a week of training here, you can wear the Sale Shark shirt, you can wear the Sale Jet shirt, you know, I, I, I wear any of those shirts, and I do it for free. And that, to me, would be one of the proudest moments that you could have. Or if Lancashire came calling, or, any, or anything, or anything, or anything like that. Now, one of the one of the, the one of the ladies in, in this is constantly talking about sexism and access and power. She plays for Bristol Bears. I mean, that is such a privilege. Just pulling on the Bristol Bears shirt for anyone who has played rugby for any length of time around the Bristol area. If you get contacted by Bristol and called up even to a training squad, that's an incredible thing. I don't think it should be taken for granted. And I think that's uh, so where you, know, you think, have they acknowledged what an incredible thing that they're actually doing here? And if they have, I kind of, I mean, well, for me, that would be enough. But there again, I'm not an aspiring professional athlete, am I? And that might be the difference. Yeah, I, I, I can understand that perspective, though, as in like your perspective that I've, from my time, I, when I was. Um, Probably knew I was never going to make it um, at the highest level, but just getting the opportunity to play at a good level w- yeah. meant the world to me. And um, never really for much money, never really for um, the glamorous locations or anything like that, but just being able to play the highest level that my talents would allow me, that meant the absolute world to me. And that's what we trained for. We put all the effort in. What well, our parents helped us out when we were kids led us up to so i think i was always grateful just to get the opportunity to play at that level oh, you, you totally got that gratitude and excitement like you say from shauna brown she just was mm. buzzing to be a yeah a, 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 have the opportunity to train at, and just that's what she had to do she didn't have to balance a job 
uh, at the same time, which thousands of people up and down the land do and do gladly with a big smile on their yeah. face. That blew my mind. That absolutely blew my mind. And I said, what we're expected to do, hold down a job and then go training. I'm like, what do you think I've done for 20 years? Like, what do you think I've done for 20 years? Like, <laughs> that's what the majority, that's what people lads in the championship are doing. But I, so I, I get, I do get the difference though between playing level six, level eight, even level four to play in level two. Well, they're, they're playing on the world stage. So they, and they do have, they do have the, well, the eyes well, the, of the world. The Premier 15, the Premier 15s isn't, but yeah, I, I, I take uh, your point. If you're playing for I, England, I playing, take your point. playing in the yeah. World Cup final for England versus New Zealand or England versus France, whoever makes it. Well, next the, the time. England players are fully professional. Yeah. yeah okay. That's so we need to just get into this bit. Okay. So the professional bit really, really irks me. Because when you make one team professional, you effectively have such a... I mean, there's a reason the salary cap exists in rugby. The salary cap exists because we don't want to distort the balance of competitiveness throughout that league. And I think when you make one team professional, in this case, England, and only a handful of others professional, you distort the balance. England got so much money, they can afford to make 30... Is it 28 or 38 players? 28, I think. 28 players professional. That comes from that comes from, from central funding, and I understand why they want to do it. But you must also acknowledge you ruin the, the women's game in the same way that if one team in the Premiership had twenty eight of the highest paid players, it would be a farce. You know that this is why these things exist. So then you've got to ask yourself the second question, right? Which is why do we pay players? We pay them for two reasons. So in the men's game, we pay them because to be a full time professional, you need to give up your job. And to give up your job, it's not just the money that you're losing by not being at your job. It's all of the accumulated experience. And by the time that you get to, say, 30 and you're about to retire, you're then ready for your big pay rise. And actually, that's when your rugby salary will probably cross over with your civilian salary, if, if you like. OK, so that's why that's why we pay them. The second reason that we pay them is because that because to be at the level to be at the top level, of men's rugby there's so many guys out there it's so competitive that you need to train full-time now the fact there's only 28 full-time ladies tells me that they are the league is not competitive enough yet to sustain more than 28 or there would be 28 ladies paid by clubs and by everywhere else and this isn't an argument uh, which they should be afraid of really because if you can be the best in the world, if I could be the best male player in the world at my position, hold on a full-time job and still play international on the weekends, I would do that. That is a deal that I would take. And I think that's how the women need to look at it. Because 30 grand or whatever they get paid a year, in my mind, is not enough to replace your professional, your professional earnings. So by the time you get to uh, 30, you've not earned enough money in my mind for this whole endeavour to be worth it. So they're getting paid, but they're getting paid just to live. They'd be better off, and I, I make this argument to a lot of players, you'd be better off being the best you, you could be, holding down another career, and then finishing off as one of the best in the world, whilst actually making sure that you're okay for the rest of your life. I don't think the professional thing helps the, the women that are being paid, or indeed the or indeed the wider women's game. I, I, I get that argument. Uh, especially yeah. in a, a scenario where, unfortunately, at the moment the market doesn't work so that you that um, the the leagues can be the clubs can be fully professional. So um, you can 
compete at that level, both um, yeah. playing the Allianz Premiership and also internationally without being full-time professionals. So the trade-off to have a full-time professional um, contract and not be able to work on the side and build up your experience in another role, it seems like it's not worth it. Yeah, um, it's almost not fair. Yeah, and it's. I'm not saying they should. You should turn down the opportunity to play international rugby because that would be exactly you've described, Jay. That would be my absolute dream. I, when I when I was working and studying and playing full time rugby, doing a masters and playing, um, yeah, say full time playing semi professional rugby at, at tier two while doing a full time job and studying for a masters, that was an absolute nightmare. Logistically, from a time perspective, from a training perspective, from a travel perspective, but I do it again in a heartbeat because it's such a good um, experience and opportunity. And I was never saying oh, I should be um, paid full time, yeah. Because because I I wouldn't if someone had offered me at that point unless I was going to go full time pro, i.e. be earning hundred k plus, um, like pre- proper Premiership salary for a good Premiership player it wouldn't have been worth, worth the trade-off for me. And watching this, I completely, I'm 100% with you, Phil, and I went through uh, similar tales. We've, we've talked on the podcast before about those, you know, taking up your whole weekend with a, a, a bus trip to Red Ruth. And yeah, yeah. <laughs> any day, love those days. They were amazing. But there's a phrase from um, Theodore Roosevelt, which I think is apt here. And he said, comparison is the thief of joy. And you've talked about this before. <laughs> in, That's in great term- You've, you've, you, it's a brilliant phrase, and, and you've talked about this before. I think part of the issue here is that just because you look at the England men's players and they are paid handsomely, don't compare yourself. You, you can't and shouldn't compare yourself. And they're paid handsomely, and th- that is no justification in and of itself uh, for you to be paid more. And likewise, the fact that the premiership in men's rugby is full-time professional is no justification for the fact the Allianz women's 15 league being fully professional. Wouldn't it be amazing yeah. if, if that was possible? The comparison thing is really a really good point because what the documentary really did for me was highlight what women's rugby needs more than anything else. It's a point of difference. So if women's rugby is going to go down this route of just being exactly the same as the men's, but we should watch it because it's played by women, it's not going to work. Uh, you know, you, we can pretend it's going to work. We can mouth the platitudes and say they're just as good and it's just as compelling. But men's rugby is built on, you know, the, you know, the physical dominance and, you know, yada, yada, yada. Women's rugby needs to do something different. It needs to offer the viewer some, some different experience. And I'll give you an example of how stupid some of the thinking around, is, uh, around this is. Uh, same which I've said on other podcasts. They have got the opportunity to mould their sport however they want. They They've got a blank bit of paper. Board. You've said this before. Correct. They've got a blank yep. bit of paper. Why are they copying the men? Why are they even? Why are they even looking at this absolute disaster, which is the men's sport? Saying, "Yeah, we want to do that. We want to have you know twelve loss-making clubs. We want constant conflict between the union, union, and the clubs. We want to have a calendar which doesn't make any sense to anyone. We want to have a Lions team which will me- which will mess up absolutely every other union in the world except for our four. Why are they doing this? And the only thing I can possibly think of is that the minds, uh, the mind of the people making these decisions is so polluted with this unfairness, this perceived unfairness." They're leading all these women that want to play rugby down a dead end. That's the only thing. And they're doing so whilst getting praised for it and being lauded as, as brave. And I just see it as stupid. 
uh, and frankly reckless. I wish they could see the opportunity more than be bogged down by comparing. Because yeah. like you say, but the necessity of comparing is that you want, oh, we want a bit more of that. And then they'll gradually, <laughs> step by step, get closer to the men's game. That seems to be the the sole compa- comparative point. And it's measured, the success of the women's game is measured on how close they can get it to the men's game in terms of uh, money and crowds yeah. and all the rest of it. But actually, the objective, I think the way to get the money and the crowds is exactly as you said, the women's game could do what the men's game has never been able to do, get a global season sorted. They could do that <laughs> tomorrow. They could be the leaders. They could, the organize, leaders. they could organize IPL type sevens events tomorrow as part yeah. of that global season. They could, re- that... they, could re-inv- they could do this global league system, which World Rugby were never able to get off the ground like that. And then you've yeah. got products which people can really engage with, things that people can watch. It might be an IPL type sevens tournament that you can dip in for for a, a three weekend period, or it might be your your global season, international, autumn international, and spring international tournaments, which you tune in for for six week blocks, and then that might lead you into watching domestic leagues in whatever country it is. So yeah, yeah, think bigger. Sure. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss. So I, th- I think this, I think a lot of the tone of this, well, obviously will come from uh, Victoria Rush, who made this. And I cannot decide whether Victoria Rush is absolutely brilliant or um, not, to put it mildly. Everyone, everyone has <laughs> the very best of intentions. There's no doubt mm. there. We all have the same uh, objective. Well, I don't know. I don't know actually. Uh, I, I don't know. So let me. So let me just let me just d- describe how I would. Okay. So first of all, is she that bright in terms of what she's saying? I mean, the way that she sees the world, um, you might say no, she's not. But then I think of it from a different point of view. Like if you met a flat earther and you asked them uh, you know, about their worldview, you can either say they're very stupid because they think the world is flat, or you can say they're incredibly clever because they've managed to, in their own mind, devise a system where the world could be flat and all of the connected um, facts that they have to make up in conjunction to believing the world the, the, uh, uh, the world is flat to facilitate their worldview. And I think Victoria Rush might be in that second category, which is incredibly bright, but wasted it entirely on a worldview that just doesn't, doesn't exist. So she's made this whole documentary and some of the stuff in it is just, I don't even know if it's true. I'll give you an example. Um, here was something which made the documentary. Um, it's rare for women to have a place to be physical. Now, that on its on its face sounds like a really reasonable proposition. But then I thought, actually, where do men be physical? 
Like outside of rugby, what do we have? Boxing? Well, women have that. MMA? Women definitely have that. I mean, I've, 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 you know, one of the most successful um, uh, MMA fighters of all time was a woman. Yeah. So what? Fights, what outside, are fights outside a pub on a Friday night? Is that what you want? I mean, you can do it. If you want to fight outside a pub, you can. I mean, is, is, is the point that far fewer women historically have played, have, have, have com- done those competed? Things. Yeah. The, that, the, percent, yes. the percent of men who do uh, physical contact sports like the ones you've listed would be reasonably high, certainly a lot higher than the percent of women who would do the same thing. And again, uh, some people would get offended by me saying this. So again, I'll just say it's coming from a um, someone who studied psychology when I say this. Um, men are, on average, more aggressive. That's a trait. Well, that, I mean, that's that, that's we... a trait. So there, there probably are more men who are attracted to those kind of things, which might be the reason for the numbers, not yeah, that there aren't the opportunities. I just ask a simple question. What is the opportunity a man has to be aggressive that a woman doesn't within a sporting arena? Which is the sport that they're referring to that they can't do? Which is it? Because I don't think, no, that, I, I once, don't think that's a one, throwaway comment. Once you're in the sporting arena, it's the same. But if 50% of men go into those sporting arenas and 10% of women go into those sporting arenas, there, there might is not a be difference. teams in every town yeah i guess so i guess that'd be fair wouldn't it which is like there's not a rugby club in every town yeah but But then then you would then you would come back to well what is the reason behind that and probably tim you've got a very good point as to what the reason behind that is because men i would assume are more attracted to that kind of danger excitement physicality aggression the only sport i can think of which you can be aggressive in which isn't available to both sex is roller derby um, but that doesn't really fit the fit the fit the problem, does it? Really? I mean, that's not really helping anyone. So yeah, and, and also there's another thing which Victoria Rush says. It's not on this on this um, documentary, but it really gives you an insight to how she thinks about things. And she gives a, a breakdown of uh, the terms used to describe men's sports and male athletes, and the terms used to describe female athletes so men are like aggressive and brave and you know yada 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 and as you'd expect the female terms are skillful and you know elegant and well, whatever it is but you kind of get what i'm saying so her, her proposition is we need to attract more well she wants to attract more women into sport and i think we can both agree that is a that is a final objective. There's nothing wrong with that. But her, but then she goes on to say the reason they don't come into sport is because journalists describe them in different ways. And it's up to journalists to describe them in equal ways. But she's wrong. And she's wrong because we have had women who have been described in these similar terms. I think of Ronda Rousey in the UFC. And she was described in all the typically masculine ways. And she had a massive following. But her following was, guess what? Men. The UFC didn't um, flourish throughout women. Uh, it attracted a very particular type of woman to compete, but it wasn't a mainstream female sport. It is mainstream amongst men. So it makes me think that when she's saying that men and women need to be described in the same way, she's wrong. Men need to be, be described in one way to attract a male audience. And if you want, if your goal right is to attract women into sport, it would stand to reason that you need to describe them in a different way. And this is where I think that she uses up all her brain power you know, looking for crimes against women which just aren't there, well, actually, she should be thinking, no, we need to approach this differently. And it goes back to what I said before. Women's rugby needs to offer something different to men's rugby if you want to attract more women into it. And, 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 yeah. and to that point, I came away, and the only 
real suggestion that was given to me as if I want to help, it's tweet, put a tweet out, retweet something. That was basically that. That was that was kind of the the main takeaway. What can you do? Tweet, tell um, yeah. you know, tell someone where they can watch it. Well, I really care about this sport. I've got a daughter. I want her to be active uh, and interested. I, I know some people that play at the. Uh, uh, some women that play at the local rugby club and I want them to have a great sport and a great infrastructure and stuff. And I think we've put some suggestions together, which, which are far, far bigger and more wide reaching and could have much bigger consequences than putting out a tweet. Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, the, the, the fact that it just kept on coming back to tweets, there's a saying about um, a certain political leader at the moment. I'm not going to say who, because you know, it, this might um, upset a few people, but they say he's not influenced by Twitter but all of his staff are. And I kind of feel they're talking to Twitter. They're not talking to women. They're not talking to um, men that might be interested. They're just talking in this documentary to Twitter. And that's it. And you can even see in the, you know, they should show an example in the documentary where it flashes up with a YouTube clip and some anonymous trolls. I'm like, well, who cares? Who cares? I mean, if that is the worst thing that you've got to face, who cares? And I tell you what, I felt really, really bad for one of the girls in there. She was telling us about her school experiences and bullying and all those terrible things, yada, yada, yada. And all she was describing to me is what school is like. You know, school can be horrific. It can be horrific for anybody. And believe you me, uh, all boys school with a speech impediment, it can be horrific. But if you get to the age of 25 and you're still referencing your school experiences, I don't think I can help you. I think you actually need to go and get professional help. There is no, adults should not be casting their minds back to their school experiences and then saying, well, this is why I behave like I do as an adult. It's just not acceptable. Well, well, no, I'd say it's um, it's okay to, it's absolutely fine and actually quite quite brave to, on a documentary, talk about that like just as i'd find it admirable and brave if when you when you on your podcast say i had a speech impediment i got yeah. some i got some serious shit when i was a when i was a kid yeah but that's not brave that's just saying yeah this is this, this is what happened and you might say and for that reason i would never i would never bully someone with that impediment but what i'd never say is well this all happened and therefore um i will behave like this as an adult uh, you know and make it my you know make it my almost like a focal point of my adulthood it's like that it's like she's living in the past and i just felt sorry for her i'm glad i spent the the hour watching it i um i i, I learned about some characters i had no that i didn't know and i like you say shauna brown is is cool and like great character really brilliant yeah story. i wish I, I really wish this documentary had more shauna browns in it uh because that was actually really interesting i was gonna say on the podcast someone that was sort of touched on briefly but on on the podcast um we had a great chat with, with rachel burford and she is absolutely awesome at the world rugby awards we had a great chat with her she's absolutely ace and um the, the there are characters and there are these stories and i and, and i really love it when you get these positive stories of people loving what they do and this all and it can be the sacrifices they've made the choices they had to make the the forks that were in the road in their career what made them pick up a rugby ball in the first place i love all that i love that with the men's game i love that with the women's game I, that's they're the, those stories are universal men women whatever age and that's what we should hear because that makes 
that makes these people real and accessible. And that's why I really like the Shauna Brown story. Here's here's one for you. This is just a purely editorial thing. I don't know how they how they made this mistake. Ugo comes on. He says one of his heroes is this woman. So it cuts this woman called Sue. And I picked up her name, Sue. And Sue says something, and it cuts back to um, oh, um, the other girl whose name escapes me at the moment. What was her name? Victoria Rush. And Victoria Rush then says, well, the woman that needs no introduction. I'm thinking, she absolutely does. I have no idea who this woman is. Do, do, uh, do, you, know the one, do you know the one one that I mean, Tim? Yeah, this uh, kind of sports administrator, advocate, business yeah. leader type. But what is she? Like, I would say, if you're talking to a new audience, you absolutely need to introduce this woman as something else other than the woman that needs no introduction. I, mean, I, I was watching her for five minutes. I'm like, I still am not, I'm not going to Google her. This is your job. Your, this is your job to tell me. The only thing that I knew about her towards the end is she, uh, uh, she's listened to a little bit of economics and that she's written a book because they've got her filmed reading her own book, which doesn't seem like a likely uh um, a bit of footage that they were likely to randomly snap. But that's all I knew about her. I thought, if you're making a programme, you need to introduce who this expert is. When she gets introduced, it flipped to being more proactive. She was coming at it like, th- th- there's, a, there's an incentive for businesses to get on board with this now. We've got a growth curve that's accelerating. We've got a critical mass of people. We've got a really good england women's team that are doing fantastically on the world stage we've got loads of young girls getting involved there's a there's reasons for people to invest in this now and i go okay here we go this that sounds a bit more proactive that's how that's how these things work yeah i agree with that i I think you know one of the ways this program really lets itself down is it has these really minor um these really minor problems with women's game like the shorts which was easily solved by making shorts um, and it sort of overlooks that they're training at Bristol Bears and there is investment and there are pros. Now, you know, I've got problems with there being pros, but you can't deny that there are lots of pros. Brilliant. There's one, you know, they seem to make up their own reality. So they give all these numbers about you know, how attractive the women's game is. And if these numbers are true, then the only reason that the women's game isn't shown is purely because of sexism. Uh, okay, well, that might be the case, but can you tell me which the sexist broadcaster is? I mean, I don't think it's BT Sport. BT Sport have got more campaigns than you can wave a stick at. So it's not BT Sport. Is it Amazon? Are they are they the sexists? You can't just say it's sexist. Show me who the sexists are. Or if you think it's truly that attractive, sorry, such an attractive investment proposition, find some investors. I mean, investors are interested in one thing. That's the beautiful thing about capitalism, money. Right? They, do you think if you could double or triple your money and own this amazing sports product, some... Uh, faceless hedge fund wouldn't do it. They'd do it in a second. It just, you know, these are the things which I think the, pro- the the documentary really lets itself down on. Because if you were watching this and you were thinking of getting into rugby, you, were, you wouldn't be sure if it's an incredibly well-resourced game with the likes of Harlequin standing behind it and the RFU, throw, throw, uh, not throwing money, but funding it. And all these great training sessions and all the... Uh, pictures of the gym and all the good work that, say, Richmond Rugby Club do and all these women playing. Or it's this sexist, you know, passive-aggressive sexist hellhole. I, I don't know what what it was trying to do, really. Well, on that, um, and I actually think this is the kind of thing the BBC is there for because they don't have the commercial things uh, targets they need to hit to break even and do the things you just described. But 
the front page of the rugby union uh top story england win gives me good problems says middleton uh, uh, referring to england's 12 try emphatic win which the match report is the second story resurgent wales ready for england acid test is the third story highlights 12 try england thrash italy fourth story fifth story what a force of nature burn scores superb try uh, then sixth story harlequins hammer irish to strengthen playoff bid the champions of england yep. playing in front of 20 odd thousand people in a in a west london derby match which was watched by probably half a million people or more uh, on, on bt sport is the the sixth story down that's not a complaint that's actually me saying how am that's the sort of, the fact the fact that's the bbc but if the times don't publish more than a, a you know a brief summary article it's because there isn't the incentive there for them to do it yeah now that's a really interesting point i'm so glad you mentioned that the six nations moving and shauna brown said this and again when she speaks in this documentary it's worth listening to and just reflecting on what she says because often she nails things and i'm not even sure she means to but the six nations was moved and initially it was like oh this is a disaster but then it all made sense didn't it because the women now have their own window where you can be interested. And the journalists who are paid to write about this stuff, they legit, you know, it's not fair to expect them to forego an England men's game because that's how they make their money. That's how they make their money to fund everything else. But by moving the women's six nations you know, slightly, um, well, a few, so a few weeks later, the journalists can go and write about the women's game. So exactly as I've been saying, saying throughout this entire podcast, the women's game needs to offer something different. It can't just be a pale, pale impression. Shauna Brown point. gets this instantly, instantly. She does get it. Is, yeah. Now that now that it's been moved, people can come and watch us. Brilliant idea. Brilliant idea. And I think you know this the the progress in the women's game is going to be from hundreds of small tweaks like this, rather than this never-ending accusations of sexism against the people that are helping you the most oh hang on hang on no no we're not people that are helping the most there's only one person that helps uh helps women's rugby the most what did you think of ugo's his cameo in this ugo's role in women's rugby which is not to question not to ask he says things like, i just want to be an ally i want to sit here as a man and listen what they need is questioning they need scrutiny they need that you know everything that they do needs to be examined see if it's for the best uh, interest of the women's game i don't think he comes up with a single suggestion of anything which is of any use in fact at one point he says i would never have been able to achieve what i achieved in my career if i had to go through what you guys go through well no you wouldn't Hugo, because the men's game is completely different and if you're thinking through the scope of the women's game and the men's game got to be exactly the same you're not helping you're not helping the problem you've got to sit down you've got to think about it identify the problems and come up with unique solutions all I would say is everybody, you know, even the people you disagree with, Jay, have everybody's coming at this with the very best of intentions. And we're all trying to achieve the same objective. And we have different opinions on uh, every individual will have different opinions on how you achieve I to say, I, I an thought, objective. I thought it was borderline cynical. I thought it was borderline just to come on there and say, because what they're trying to do is they're saying, hey, if you're a man, this is how you should behave. You should sit here and listen, but only listen to a very particular type of viewpoint. And I don't think that I don't think that helps the sport. I mean, imagine if imagine if the only way to help the RFU would be to sit and listen to Bill Sweeney and don't question him, just listen and be an ally. If you want to con- con- if you want to con- contribute, watch a documentary, think about the, the, uh, uh, the issues that have been raised, and then give your honest opinion. After hearing this, I, w- I will watch it. <laughs> 
definitely. Yeah. Um, it's it's really, it, it does some things really well. And it makes me really a lot more in. So what it, it, it sort of perversely proves the point here that women's rugby content can indeed spur interest in women's rugby. I mean, this is no surprise, is it? I, you know, uh, the F1 documentary Drive to Survive is a perfect example of, you know, content pushing people towards sport. It has to be sporting content and it cannot be this never ending um, sexism this or um, inequality that. It has to be because the sport stands on its own two feet. And the only way it'll ever do that is by offering you something different to what the men's game offers. And that's the problem that they need to solve. And as soon as they solve that problem, they'll have a, they'll have a, have a thriving sport. I, I, I look forward to supporting it. I can fully imagine that there'll be people that, that watch this and actually might uh, watch the Six Nations, uh, whether it's because of Shauna Brown or at least they'll go, oh, there's Shauna Brown. And that is the takeaway here. Tell us more of those stories. If you're going to put content out, don't tell me that the sport I love is sexist. When from, whilst, whilst simultaneously telling us how great it is. Well, yeah. Um, <laughs> when from my perspective, I you look at England women's rugby is the envy of pretty much the rest of the world yeah, and that's wrong. and that can only be done when you have the buy-in of the sport as a whole which means men as well but watch it yeah watch and, it. Uh, and, and fair play I'd, I'd love to have um i'd love to have some rugby of any content don't care whether it's women yeah. men or I would whatever love this, on, I would on amazon or netflix yeah i'd love this documentary to be done again and i'd love it to be done with rugby as a focus rather than campaigning that's what I'd love, and I think they'd. I think they'd have an absolute winner. That's the sad thing. It's a missed opportunity. It's a, it's relatively well made, missed opportunity. So watch there it. There we go. Very good. Let the players play. Yeah, indeed. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.